0: hello
1: and welcome to stride and saunter episode 216 i'm kip clark and joining me in the studio today we have a returning guest pete davis
0: hi everyone glad to be here
1: And as always, Pete, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Today, you wanted to talk about whether our society is over-politicized. And while I have many thoughts on the topic, I'd first like to turn it to you and ask why you think it's a question worth discussing.
0: This question of over-politicization is in vogue today because I think it wraps up a bunch of these topics that are in the newspaper op-eds all the time. You know, political correctness, Colin Kaepernick, why are you bringing politics into football? People feeling like politics is invading their relationship, and people are more comfortable marrying someone who's like totally from a different background as long as they're the same politics, whereas before it wouldn't matter what your politics were as long as they were from the same background. So everyone's talking about this topic of, has politics gone out beyond its proper place? And so I think that question of overpoliticization is a larger category that captures many things that are being discussed in the news today.
1: You're absolutely right that it's in vogue. And what I've noticed, especially over the past four to six years, is that political dialogue not only seems more insistent in our daily lives, but more complex, where politics may have previously fallen along more strictly economic lines. Discourse is now centered in everything from gender to sexual orientation and, of course, race. And all of these are relevant and important topics, but it's worth saying that I, as someone who is a straight white man, often feel excluded from political dialogue because of an identity that admittedly I didn't choose. And I'm not here to share a sob story, although I think there are many straight white men who feel alienated and angry about the circumstances in a lot of political dialogue today. And so I suspect for a lot of people hearing this topic, they might respond to a question of over politicization and say that for the first time, or at least gradually, they feel like they belong to a group that is being heard or has been given a voice. And so, on many levels, I hope that political dialogue empowers more and more people to speak and to have their ideas heard. But I also think that things have become cacophonous, and that there are perhaps too many voices competing and not enough listening, or people who have spoken but still don't feel understood, empathized with, or heard. To me, politics are a means to an end, but I look out and see many people who seem to have made them an end unto themselves. To your point, there are many people who won't engage with relationships or individuals entirely based on political opinion. And I'm not here to say that's fair or unfair, but it certainly is a stark and present example in our society.
0: I'm going to come out of the gate with a strong opinion on this, which is that if people are bothered by over politicization, that means that they're invested in the status quo because politics enters an area when someone wants it to be changed. So any system that we engage in, from the serious to the mundane, from economic policy to the NFL, was the result of politics. But that politics became frozen, and then we live in it after the fight is done. So the organization of the NFL, or the organization of marriages, or the organization of the economy were the result of political fights. And if those political fights came to a standstill, and then they were at a standstill for a long time you start thinking about them as non-political anymore. They become natural or necessary. And you think that's the way it's always been because you were just born and that's what it was when you were born. And then when someone comes along and says they want to change it, suddenly they're politicizing it. But everything at some point was political. And so I think sometimes when people complain about over-politicization, they are complaining that someone is asking to change something that they find to be right. So they try to pitch their, whoa, 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 let's not get political here, as a neutral opinion. But that's actually an opinion on one side, that everything that is there is all right, and the other side is political. The truth of the matter is, both sides are political. Having an investment in the status quo is a political opinion, and wanting to change something is also a political opinion. So when Colin Kaepernick wants to say, I think players in the league should have more of a voice about the community that many of the players are from, that's called political, whereas the people that say, let's just play football are unpolitical. But take a look at the NFL. The reason that most owners are white and most NFL players are disproportionately black is because of political decisions in the past. They are not natural or necessary. And he's just reopening up that fight. He's not bringing the fight out of nowhere. So that's my strong opinion that politicization is not some menace. It's just reopening fights that some of us are benefiting from being closed and others of us are hurt from being closed and are benefiting from being opened up. I will say my one argument for the other side, and it's smaller than the argument for the side I just articulated, is that sometimes to have community, you have to have certain periods where you are connecting in a shared institution and not necessarily fighting over it. And if your institutions are so unstable that they're always being fought over, they stop doing the jobs that they need to be doing. So for example, if you have a class in a school, part of the time you should fight over the structure of that class. But part of the time you have to learn in the class. And I think people on the far status quo side say never let students have opinions about restructuring the class. And I think people on the far politicization side say let's always be arguing about it. And I think you have to have openness to argument and change and periods of stability and living in the moment and that is a balance. But to balance these two sides of the argument, I think we have so much status quo bias that putting the thumb on the scale for politicization is worth it. And we're usually overzealously status quo biased than overzealously politicized. And my reason for taking the side of politicization over living within the status quo in the balance of the two, and I admit both are legitimate, is I think there's been some amnesia among these anti-over-politicization people about the gains that have come from politicization. I'm a straight white man, but even I have benefited from the feminist and gay rights movement Because I'm a much more feminine man than the average dude. You know, if I was born in the 50s, I would have gotten beat up all the time. But because people really politicized our culture and started chipping away at that toxic masculinity and started chipping away at that idea that being soft and tender with each other is not necessarily some alien and insidious thing, I got to benefit from that. And I'm a straight white man, so if I, a straight white man, have gotten to benefit from the feminist movement, from the gay rights movement, from the civil rights movement, think about how these communities that are the objects of those movements and subjects of those movements have gotten to benefit from them. I just would like to say to some of these people that are so riled up about civil rights and feminism and gay rights, women were not allowed to register credit cards until way into my mom's lifetime. That's like Saudi Arabia level things in America, in my mom's lifetime. This isn't some distant past idea. The last Democratic president for a majority of his presidency was against gay marriage. When I was in high school, I'm going to my 10th high school reunion soon, people said no homo in the hallways and teachers heard it and didn't chastise them. (laughs) We had a day of silence at my school that was for gay rights, and liberal dudes felt uncomfortable participating in it because they didn't want to get stained with the idea of being gay. It's like you know, some people have come out of the darkness three years ago, and then suddenly people are saying, oh gosh, too much, too much, too much. The day that we can start talking about straight white men are aggrieved is the day that the wealth gap between white families and black families in this country is gone. It's nowhere close to gone. I think it's more than 10x white wealth versus black wealth. The day that we can talk about feminism being overzealous is the day when Congress is majority women. You know, It's not even majority women yet. We haven't had a woman president yet. We only have three women on the Supreme Court. If you look at Fortune 500 CEOs, it's in the either high single digits or low double digits for women CEOs in the Fortune 500. These projects are not done yet.
1: I'm especially grateful that you bring up status quo bias, because even in the pursuit of progress, which I think all of us are hopeful for, whether we identify politically as liberal or otherwise, the idea that our society will advance, move forward, and improve itself, I would hope is a universally embraced ideal. But admittedly, on a very fundamental, perhaps even cellular level, we aren't always comfortable with change. And I think many of our human habits, whether it's recording information or longingly looking back at photos of our younger selves with nostalgia, speak to how difficult change is, whether we think it's righteous or not. And so I appreciate your points and also sympathize with people who, deep down, might hope for a better and brighter world, but on the surface level, aren't comfortable with the means by which we get there. And you're wise to bring up the fact that our most recent democratic president didn't support gay marriage, a typically progressive idea, until well into his second term. And I think that's a useful example because, while society may change quickly as our technology and abilities evolve, people, historically, are relatively slow changing. It takes a while to build healthy habits, even to build substantial relationships that will last over the course of our lives, And so on the topic of things being over-politicized, I think that's actually code for the rate at which political discourse has heated up. And I don't know if there's a way to do so gradually, but I think many more people might be interested or even enthusiastic to participate politically, especially in discourse, if they felt terms could be explained or that they could come to a table and be understood. But admittedly the political divide in our country appears to be sharp and widening another component of this discussion i find really essential as we're talking about words and terms is that i feel political labeling has become and may perhaps have always been dangerously reductive i think we all have a myriad of views and they may not always be in concert with the party in power or, in our American system, one of two predominant political parties. And so, to me, the topic of what has become over-politicized points at how we view other people. And I'm of the personal belief that while habits can become firmly rooted and people can crystallize over time, that we are an amalgamation of our behaviors, attitudes, and perceptions, and that over the course of our lives, those can, and I would hope will, change. And so, the idea that we become members of political armies or factions may be somewhat correct in categorization, but also incredibly limiting, and I think leads us to find people that we will never talk to because of political beliefs. And before I conclude, I would like to say that with more extremist or hostile views, I won't legitimize people who would call for the death, harm, or dehumanization of anyone. And in our political sphere, That has become increasingly prevalent.
0: One way to put what you're talking about to me is that the more political you get, the more that the entity that you're trying to change needs solidarity. One way to think about it is that if you have opinions about what the ship should do, none of your opinions matter if the ship goes down. And none of your opinions matter if you tick off so many people on the ship that they're not going to help with whatever the majority conclusion is. Because you can't just win. You have to win and then bring people along with the win. You can always have outliers, even up to 10% of people who are so extreme. But in the end, you need to win a majority and you need to have a substantial minority be tolerant of that majority conclusion, or you're not going to be able to implement the policies that you want. For example, only a slight majority of people support gay marriage in America But now that it's the law of the land, you know, the other 30% is not standing at the courthouse door stopping people from getting married. Or some people don't agree with certain tax policies, but there's not a major tax rebellion. You need to have some people come along, even if they're your opponents. And I like putting it this way, you know, before we are activists, we must be neighbors before we can change a community, we must be part of the community. And actually, the better neighbors you are, and the better part of a community you are, the more power you have to be an activist and to change the community, because you can win the respect of the others. And I have a personal way that I act in the world as an activist, which is the idea of nonviolence. There's the Christian tradition from Martin Luther King and the Gandhian tradition from Gandhi, which is the idea that you are always fighting a system, you're not fighting people. And you should always separate the people from the system that you're fighting to the level that Martin Luther King, when he was fighting the people with the dogs and the fire hoses, he still said that he loved Bull Connor, who was the sheriff of uh, one of the towns in Alabama who was attacking him. And so I think the people that are the most hurt by another side's Ideas. So let's make this concrete. The women that are hurt by what they view as misogynist and patriarchy-supporting political views, or the people of color that are most hurt and disrespected by what they view as racist views, I don't think it's their job to be the most civil in interacting with the system. But I do think it's people like me who are the least hurt by these policies, but who aspire to be allies of the people that are hurt by these policies. I think we could play the role of engaging in a role that might be the explainer role that might have more patience for uh, these types of things if there are people that we want to bring along because we're not the ones that are most hurt by this. And, you know, I want to be humble in this because I'm not the one that's the most affected by some of these policies. I don't want to state that I know what the right way to do this is. But I personally practice in my own life that I try to play more of the role of, let me listen you out. Let me try to see it from your perspective. Let me try to elaborate on some of these terms that are being used. And I hope that that role helps.
1: And I not only have a deep respect for your intention and practice there, as I know you on a personal level, but I sympathize with groups who feel their voices haven't been heard. And while plenty of people could and have thrown terms around like hysterical, emotional, or illogical, In systems of power, those who feel oppressed or not listened to are going to have strong feelings about things, and that's something I try to remind myself of, and I especially appreciate your interest in helping to articulate, in listening, and explaining to relevant communities how they've participated in systems of power and how we might move into a better future And I particularly value what you said because in the realm of over-politicization, I do worry that new terms, new concepts, or even different frameworks than those which existed a decade or two ago might leave people feeling politically excluded. And so while politicization may rise as a trend, I worry that more and more people, especially those in favor of the status quo, whether passively or actively, will do more covering of their ears and shouting rather than listening because admittedly, it's not always comfortable. And they don't feel heard in a conversation where they feel entitled to an equal opportunity to speak at the microphone.
0: I have two thoughts on this about paths forward. One is that caring is curiosity. To care about something is to be curious about it. And if we profess on either side, to care about our country, to care about these values and these projects in our country, like helping families be safe and prosperous and close, to help our communities be strong and enjoyable, to help our nation be secure and empowered and vibrant. We need to care about each other, and thus we need to be curious about each other. So I would challenge everyone who's ready to fight to be curious, and especially those who have never been challenged to be curious about someone else because they've been at the uh, good side of a hierarchy with that other person. The second thing is, I think we get wrong what we have in common. We often think that we agree on abstract principles, but disagree on the concrete manifestation of them. That's a very common thing for a bipartisan to say. You know, we all believe in freedom, but we just believe in different ways to achieve freedom. I think that's totally wrong. We all have totally different ideals that we believe are important, but we agree on certain concrete projects. And we may be involved in that concrete project for a different ideal. Then the other side might be involved in that concrete project. This is the great American way we came together. You're all in a town and you have to build a well. Your family needs the well for different reasons. You may be at different stages of life and from different places, but you all need a well and you work together to get the well done. And you go home and you say, oh, I had to work with that guy I totally disagree with on the well. And slowly over time, if you have enough projects that you're all working on together, your ideals will fuzz a bit and merge with each other. So I would change challenge anyone who's interested in crossing a boundary to not debate what you disagree on or to debate what ultimate political tribe is correct, but rather to just start working on a concrete policy issue that you both are interested in working on. And I know that people with totally different views have dozens of concrete policy issues that overlap.
1: And as you're offering challenges or suggestions to people, particularly our listeners, we'll wrap up momentarily. But first, On your point to be curious, to show curiosity towards others, that especially resonates with me as curiosity, for lack of a better term, is a guiding principle in my life. I remain fascinated by humanity and hope that the course of my life is serving it in one way or another. But I will share, via a very informative phone call from a friend of mine, that in times of great heartache, trauma, or stress, especially of the political kind, sometimes one's curiosity or a call to be curious can come across as detached or maybe even lacking in sympathy for people who may want to be curious but are dealing with really difficult circumstances. And so I too would encourage people to be curious and, contrary to what I have done in the past, to show that by listening and primarily listening, not offering your own opinion making others feel incredibly comfortable and valued in sharing where they're coming from. And Pete, before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to consider after listening to this conversation?
0: I would like them to participate in an interesting self-education activity. Take any institution that seems like it's natural or necessary and research the origin of it. And there they will find the politics at its birth and think about how that is the case for every institution that we interact with. From the design of stop signs, to the weekend, to tax policy, to the way that our voice inflects, to the way that we perform our gender, to the way that our hairstyles go, the way we've gone to war. There's always politics at its origin, and that its current state is always in frozen fighting. And so when someone is trying to politicize it, they're in fact just opening up A long story, not bringing something alien in from the outside.
1: I feel awash with questions I have for the audience, but I'll limit myself to a few and say first that I have a certain image of a listener in mind, but I'd be really curious to know if you identify along the political spectrum and could use certain terms that you, the listener, share with us at some point your political views, where you align politically, and if you're so inclined, why you feel that way. Secondly, I'd love to know how often and when, if at all, you engage in political conversations. And lastly, as I suspect is true on my end, and I hope you'll be forgiving or understanding, I personally often feel ill-equipped to discuss politics, even though I'm legitimately curious, and know that I have a great deal to learn and understand. So as always, I would welcome your feedback to know how you felt in listening to this. And Pete, even with your eloquence, the topic of politics can always be a cumbersome one. So I particularly appreciate your willingness and enthusiasm to engage with it today.
0: And I appreciate you, Kip.
1: But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we're certainly not the only people with ideas out there, so we'd love to hear what some of yours are. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.